Good morning and welcome to St. Peter's Free Church of Scotland. My name's Craig, I'm the minister in training here. And let me offer you an especially warm welcome if you are new to church or perhaps visiting us for the first time. After our service is over this morning, encourage us all, why don't we stay around for a cup of tea or coffee served at the coffee bar from the back? Or why not this Sunday speak to somebody you've never met before? Well, as we begin our time together, let me read for us our call to worship from Psalm 104. Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. Let's stand and sing the hymn together, all creatures of our God and King, and then remain standing afterwards as we pray. Let's stand and sing.
Let's remain standing as we pray. Our great God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you for who you are, for your majesty, for your unsurpassing greatness, your unspeakable goodness, and your superabundant grace. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, chiefly in your Son, for the Lord Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. And so we praise you for your grace in him, that you indeed have qualified us for the inheritance of the saints. You have transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of Christ, your beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so it is in his name we stand, in his name we move and have our being, and it is in his name we pray. Amen. Let's join with creation and carry on singing praise to God as we sing Psalm 104, verses 24 to 36, and the tune will be high for a doll. Lord, how many are Yeah. 
please do be seated. Every Sunday morning in our services together, we confess our sins. And as we do, we, we are applying and celebrating the gospel together, acknowledging that we are sanctified sinners who are all in need of more grace for holiness, and that we don't want to ignore our guilt, but rather confess it to Jesus and there find mercy. So let's follow the words on the screen as we confess our sin together. You asked for my hands that you might use them for your purpose. I gave them for a moment, then withdrew them, for the work was hard. You asked for my mouth to speak out against injustice. I gave you a whisper that I might not be accused. You asked for my eyes to see the pain of poverty. I closed them, for I did not want to see. You asked for my life that you might work through me. I gave a small part that I might not get too involved. Lord, forgive my calculated efforts to serve you, only when it is convenient for me to do so, only in those places where it is safe to do so, and only with those who make it easy to do so. Father, forgive me, renew me, send me out as a usable instrument that I might take seriously the meaning of your cross. Amen. Hear our assurance of pardon from the word of God from Psalm 32. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Amen. In our Bible readings together, we are reading through the book of 1 Thessalonians in our morning service together. And after each reading, the reader says, this is the word of the Lord. And if you agree, respond by saying, thanks be to God. We're in chapter 2 this week, where Paul speaks about his ministry amongst the church there and seeks to reassure them of their salvation in Christ. One of our deacons, Stuart, will read this for us, and if you're in the Church Bible, it's on page 1,186. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, reading the whole chapter, and it's on page 1186 of the Church Bible. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We'd previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, nor from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually, because when, we, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, You accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, 
which is at work in you who believe. For you brothers became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men in their efforts to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Stuarts. This turns our notices for us as a church family. As always, there's much more in our weekly email. And if you don't receive that and would like to, please do speak to me after the service. Just two things for us this Sunday. First off, our summer prayer meeting isn't happening here this week. Instead, it's happening at our church plant at Charleston Community Church on 29 Craig Owen Road. If you are driving there, there is a small car park behind the church. There's a premium news agency beside the church. And there's a lane there. And if you'd like to drive down there, there's a small car park there. As always, tea and coffee will be served from 7 o'clock. And we'll start praying from half past 7. Secondly, a date for the diary. We've got a church outing coming up on Saturday the 24th of August at the Maddox Centre in St. Meadows. That's for all the church family, so please do jot that date down in your diary and be more information about that in the coming weeks. Great, that's our notices for the Sunday. Now, boys and girls, like to come down the front. And let me tell you about one of my favourite films. Great. Who here, is, who here loves watching films? Yeah, Sophia loves watching films. Finley does. What's your favourite film, Finley? Do you have one? No? Do you have a favourite film, Sophia? I love the Toy Story films. Who here loves Toy Story? Tabitha loves Toy Story. Benjamin or Isaac like, loves Toy Story. Benjamin loves Toy Story. Thanks, Sophia. You like Toy Story, Hamish? The Secret Life of Pets. I've not seen that yet. I need to watch that one. I love Toy Story. I love Woody and Buzz. They're my favourite characters. And what, one thing I find interesting in Toy Story is there's something on their feet. Who knows what's on Woody and Buzz's feet? Yes, Anna. Pardon? Andy. The name Andy's written on their feet. Now, why is that? Why is the name Andy written on their feet? Do you know Isaac? Because they belong to Andy, don't they? The name Andy is written on their feet because they belong to Andy. Who here has a name? If you were to take off your shoe, who has a name written on their feet? Anyone? I used to have a name written on my shoe, and they're all three stickers, but they always get wiped off. They do get wiped off the stickers, don't they? Yeah. On, on our feet, though, there's not a name on your feet, is there? Oh, you still got a sticker, that's good. Yeah. They have not come off yet. Yeah. Yeah, I can see where it used to be. Now, Andy, he had a name on his feet. Sorry, Woody and Buzz did, because they belonged to Andy. We don't have a name on our feet. But in one sense, we sort of do. See, later on, we're looking at a passage in Colossians where it says all things are made through Christ and all things are made for Christ. If you were to pick up Woody and Buzz, you see the name Andy, and you'd know this belongs to Andy. This is for Andy. And same with us. If you look at us, we are made for Jesus. Who, who's got a name on their shoe? I've got a name on my shoe. Anyone else got a name? Mine says Clarks. What do you think that means? Yes, Finley? 
Yeah, Clark's made it. This shoe is made by Clark's. And so if you look at us as well, there's no name there, but we are made for Jesus. So what I want us to remember today is, us and all things were made for Jesus and by Jesus. Let me pray about that, and then we head off and sing our next song. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you reign over all things, and that all things were made through you, and all things were made for you. So help us in Sunday school and in the coming weeks and years to learn more and more what it means to live our lives for you. We thank you for Sunday school and for this time together, and in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Great, let's grab a seat. Great, we're going to sing our next song together, The Splendor of the King, which sings about the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we're not going to do collection, we've just done that behind my back. So we're just going to sing The Splendor of the King. Let's stand as the band begin to play. Please do be seated, unless you're off to Sunday school, which point, feel free to head out to the door here. If you're here visiting, we have uh, our creche and our nursery class downstairs, and our older Sunday school upstairs.
Let me read for us our Old Testament reading. We are working our way through the book of Psalms, and now we turn to Psalm 125. If you've got one of the church Bibles, it's on page 623. Psalm 125, a song of ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. But those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Let's stand and sing this psalm, the tune of Saint Cecilia, and Stephen will present this for us. Stand and sing. All those who trust the Lord like Zion are secure. Please be seated. We're carrying on our short three-week series looking at Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. The Colossian church, they were, they were a great church. They loved Jesus. They had a great minister, Epaphras, who was teaching them about Jesus. He was the one who, who planted the church there. But there was a problem in Colossae. Some other teachers were, were coming alongside teaching something else. They taught that Jesus is great. The gospel, that's great. That's how you start in the Christian life. You start with Jesus and the gospel, but there's, there's more experience. There's a deeper knowledge. There's greater spiritual things. But why would they be tempted by this, though? Perhaps the Christian life to them, it began to feel, well, ordinary, a bit mundane. And the Colossians knew deep down that it wasn't meant to be like this. They wanted more. They knew that Jesus was important, so in a way came along that they could keep Jesus and get these other things. Oh, it's quite tempting, isn't it? We reminded last week that's false. They were being taught that they needed Jesus plus these other things to be a truly spiritual Christian. But I think we can, we can empathize with the Colossians though, can't we? Perhaps not right now for us, but 
Maybe there has been times or, or will be times when you love Jesus. But following Jesus, well, it just feels painfully ordinary. A bit mundane. We too might think, is this it? Is this life to the full that Jesus offered me? And we want life to the full. We, I guess in some ways, want some sort of spiritual spinach that we eat and it, it transforms us like Popeye into super spiritual Christians. We can look for, for that in different ways. Perhaps we look for more of God in euphoric times of praise. Or maybe we, we look to hear the very voice of God speaking to us like he seems to do to other people. Or maybe we want to feel closer to God, so we feel we need to do certain things, pray to certain people, read certain books. I remember doing that as, as a student. I remember when I came here in uh, 2008 and the ESV study Bible was just out. And there was some, some people in the Christian Union and they, they seemed really spiritual. They seemed much more spiritual than me. And I thought, if I just get one of those leather-bound bad boy Bibles... Wow, I'm going to be like one of them because I'm missing something. I think that's it. We can be tempted with these sorts of things. Or perhaps we know all the right things. But we feel spiritually cold. Dead even. And think, if only I was like so-and-so. If only the situations in my life were like theirs. Well, I'd be doing better if only I had more. Now, don't mishear me. Wanting more is a good thing. As long as it's wanting more of Jesus. Not moving on to something else. That's what we saw last week in the passage. So you read the passage from last week and we see that Paul wants, he expects Christians to grow He prays that they might grow and keep on growing. He prays that they may grow in knowledge to understand more and more of all that they have in Christ. Let's look at those verses we closed with last week, verses 12 to 14. Let me read these for us again. That we may endure patiently and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Wow. Aren't they some verses to memorize for us? And it's almost as if Paul writes this and he goes, Wait, I want you to know more of the son. He's done these amazing things, but I want you to know more about him. I'm not sure you fully get this. I want you to behold Jesus so that you never want to move on to anything else. That's the big thing Paul is, is teaching here. Sober Christians, you want to know more, but more of Jesus, more of who he is, more of what he's done. And before we turn to our passage, I want to see how Paul does this. How he writes about the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. So let me read our passage. One, uh, one Colossians, sorry, Colossians. Why am I saying one? Chapter one, that's why. From verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, 
by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, may we behold you this morning in your word. And so not want to move on to anything else, but trust in you for salvation. And so incline our hearts to your word this morning, and not to anything this world has to offer us. Free us from all distractions we ask. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Unite our hearts in reverent fear of you, and satisfy our hearts in your steadfast love. So we ask and praise things for your glory, Lord Jesus. In your name. Amen. People love buzzwords, don't they? Buzzwords are are a thing. Buzzwords were a thing at a time when Colossians was written as well. And these false teachers, they had buzzwords, words they loved speaking about. Things like fullness, maturity, knowledge. Without even yet in letter, Paul talking directly about their false teaching... Paul wants to subvert it and show how great Jesus is. He wants the Colossians to grasp, how can you add something to everything? Let me show you what I mean. Look down at your Bible, scan through chapter 1, and I want you to spot all the, all the alls, the, the everys, the fulls, the holes in these verses. The universals, I guess you could call them. Let me go through some of them quickly. Chapter 1, verse 6. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Verse 9, we continually ask God to fill you with knowledge of his will through all wisdom. Verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great or all endurance and all patience. To get it, the world is being changed. Every part of life is being changed. All the power of God enables us to do something. Let's carry on. Verse 15, our passage this week. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Verse 23, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Jesus is everything. How can you add something to everything He's Lord of everything. His message is for every person in every time. That's what Paul's wanting the Colossians to grasp before he even speaks about the false teaching. So our passage this week, Paul has two main things for us to learn. The supremacy of Christ in all things and the sufficiency of Christ in salvation. Let's have a look at the first section. Before we do that, what, what do we mean by supremacy? Let's, let's define our terms here as we start. Well, supremacy means that there's no, there's no higher authority. There's no higher power. There's no higher status. And we see this in verse 15 where Jesus is given two titles. Titles are funny sometimes, aren't they? I think we, we sometimes hear them and we grasp them. When we're pushed a bit, we don't really know them. Think of the royal family. Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, we, we get that, don't we? We know what that means. But what does it actually mean? Isn't prince enough? 
Why is he a duke as well? What does it even mean to be Duke of Edinburgh? Titles are important. We need to learn what they mean, and especially Jesus' two titles. Let's unpack them. Have a look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Let's take that first title. What does Paul mean here by image? Well, the image of God's in Jesus, it's not like, it's not like a picture my daughter might draw of me. This sort of squarish circle with four arms coming out and a pair of glasses. You can tell it's me, but it's not, it's not really me. That's not what Paul means here. When Paul says image, he doesn't mean a copy. It's not like a print, perhaps a print of a painting on your wall or a photocopy of something. It looks like the real thing but it's not the real thing. Now, what Paul's saying here is that Jesus is the very nature and character of the invisible God. So what does that mean? Well, it means this. It means if you want to know what God is like, we don't go looking for him in the euphoria of a worship service. We don't go looking for him in religious rituals and practices. To know what God is like, when we look at Jesus in the scriptures, we get to know him because he is the invisible God made visible. That's what Paul's getting at in that first title. What else is he? What's the the second title? Well, he is the firstborn over all creation. Anyone who perhaps has met a Jehovah's Witness before will know that they take this to mean that Jesus is a created being. Well, Paul just blasts that out of the water in the next two verses. Look at what he says. He says, Jesus created all things. All things were made by him, through him, for him. A created being couldn't do these things. So what does Paul mean then by firstborn? Well, it's not the idea of chronology. Firstborn, it's, it's a title of status, a title of heir. Read Psalm 89, and the psalmist speaks of King David being the firstborn. And he wasn't the oldest brother, he was the youngest brother. But he was the one that went on to have the status of the firstborn, the one above the others. So let's put these two titles together then. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is fully God. He is the firstborn over all creation. Everything is his. Now Paul states this, but why can he make this claim? Have a look at verses 16 and 17. For in him, in Christ, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Paul says, think of something, anything. The most important thing about it is its relationship to Jesus, that Jesus made it, that it was for Jesus. The visible things, you, me, this building, the tree, the smallest things in the microscope, Made by Jesus, for Jesus. The visible things and the invisible things, well, what's that? Things the spiritual realm. Angels, demons, all made by Jesus, for Jesus. Now, why does Paul mention these categories? Heaven and earth, visible, invisible. Take this part out of the sentence and, well, it keeps the point. So why does Paul include it? I think because Paul's showing them the specific things they're being tempted about. Why go for those things when you know the one who's made them? You know the one who's above everything, But just dwell upon these verses. Verse 16, all things have been created through him and for him. 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Everything out there, everything in here, Christian or not, made by Jesus, made for Jesus. So what difference does that make? It means that you aren't an accident. It means that you aren't worthless. It means that your life isn't pointless. It means that you are valuable, precious in the sight of Jesus. That we were created by him, crafted by him. It means he knows what makes us tick. He knows the way we're wired. He knows us even better than we do. And so he knows what's best for us and how we're to live. Because we were created for him. And so his mark runs right the way through us. Think of that Toy Story analogy. We don't have name Andy written on our feet. It's if we name Jesus written on our feet. Because he made us. We're made for him. Or perhaps that's a little, a little bit too lowbrow. Perhaps you're more into highbrow things. Think of the composer Johann Sebastian Bach. One of his trademarks in music was something called the Bach motif. B-A-C-H. In German musical uh, naming, the notes B-flat for us, they call B. And the note B for us, they call H. So throughout his music, apparently if you listen to it and you're... Uh, well-trained in this, he'd have this pattern in his music. B-A-C-H. It tied everything together, held it together. Whenever you listened to a piece of his music, his name ran through it. You knew it was written by him. You knew it was written through him. You knew it was written for him. It's like that with us. It's as if the name Jesus runs right the way through us, whether we can see it or not. I guess in one sense he can, because we're all made in his image. We were created by him, through him, for him. And it's here right now holds us together, giving us breath in our lungs, our hearts beating. All things are created through him, for him. He holds all together. But life isn't just about enjoying Jesus in this creation. It's new creation too. Have a look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that's in everything he might have the supremacy. Look how Jesus' relationship to the church is described here. He is the head, the church, his body. A body can't live without its head, so why would the body look somewhere else for life? A body only has one head, why would it look for another and try to listen to that? See, all wisdom, guidance, leadership comes from the head. Not anywhere else. So what does that mean? It means that for a church to live, a church to grow, a church that needs wisdom... A church that needs leadership. It looks the head of the church. The Lord Jesus Christ that wants to know more of him and trust in him. Noticing in these verses, Jesus is also the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. Well, what does that mean? It means that, that he leads the way. He is the first, the founder of the new humanity, the new creation. It means it's all his. See that word firstborn again? That title? See, as Jesus rose from the dead, it's not simply, if you could use the lighter word, is that simply that he came back from the dead? But he rose to new life for there be no more death. He, he inaugurated the new creation. And the church is part of that now. It's his body now. And look at what the church is connected to, verse, verse 19. The fullness of God in Jesus Christ. Now, once you notice this, this is quite stark, I think. Verse 19, God is with us, 
fully in Christ. Look at verse 20. God is for us in Christ. Jesus, God himself, supreme over all things, died on the cross to make peace, to reconcile his rebellious creation. This death of Jesus, it was a cosmic event. It changed all of creation. He is the one mediator between God and man. It means that we don't need anything else. But Jesus... There's a, a minister in Texas called Matt Chandler, and he's got, I think, quite a helpful book called The Explicit Gospel. And he talks about uh, the gospel from the air and the gospel on the ground. What do I mean by that? Well, in verses 15 to 20, they're sort of like the gospel from the air, looking down, seeing the big picture stuff. I think we're often good at the gospel on the ground. Christ died for me. We often forget that much, much bigger picture thing of what Christ has done what he is doing. And the danger with that is when we forget the big picture stuff, well, our Jesus has become too small. And when our Jesus is too small, well, the danger is that we don't want to spend time with him. We think, is this it? We fail to grasp the the greatness of Jesus. And so eternity, all that stuff from the air, everything Christ is doing in creation, doesn't excite us. The danger when we forget the big picture stuff is what Paul's teaching here, is that Jesus can simply become a get-out-of-hell-free card. Well, what Paul wants to do here is stretch our minds to behold Jesus, see his greatness, see his grandeur, see that Jesus is supreme over all things, which means that if we start looking elsewhere, we've not grasped all we have in him. Paul wants us to behold the supremacy of Jesus. And because of that, because Jesus is supreme, he wants us to trust in the sufficiency of Jesus in salvation. Have a look at verse 21 to 23 here. Paul writes, you here, he of course means the Colossians, but it applies to Christians as well today. So let me read these verses again. And rather than reading you, I'm going to put in the word I. Why don't you do that as we read this passage in your head? Once I was alienated from God and was enemies in my mind because of my evil behavior. But now he has reconciled me by Christ's physical body through death to present me holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If I continue in my faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that I heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which Paul became a servant. It's quite powerful that, isn't it? When we see what Christ has done for us. What we want to do is just follow Paul's logic in these last three verses. They're on the screen there for us. Paul's logic is what we once were, where we now stand, and how we must go on. Let's dig a bit deeper. Have a look at verse, uh, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. The world says it's neutral. God, that's fine. Believe about God. That's just fine for you. If, if it works for you, just keep it for yourself. The world thinks it's got neutral views on everything. But Jesus explained to someone they were made by Jesus, made for Jesus, that to live with every part for him. Well, I think their response might show that perhaps they're not neutral. In fact, hostile to him. Perhaps that's you here uh, this morning. These verses say, if there is you, that you belong, that it says that you don't belong to Jesus. You live against him as an enemy because of what you do. 
That's what it says, isn't it? That's dark. Sure, I mess up. But I'm a good person who messes up sometimes. We all do that, don't we? Well, the Bible won't have any of that. The Bible's a word for someone who tells lies. A liar. There's a word for someone who has sexual thoughts about someone who isn't their husband or wife. An adulterer. There's a word for anyone who says or thinks or does something that falls short of God's perfection and his demands on us. A sinner. An enemy of God. And our minds are so twisted that we we justify to ourselves what we do and so we continue doing them. And for all of us, that was our past, if not our present, separated from God, living as his enemy. But that's not the end of the story. Verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, we are no longer enemies. We've been reconciled, friends with God. Notice here the tenses, look at your Bible, reconciled, past tense, holy and blameless, present tense. What does that mean? Well, it means that when we are presented to the Lord Jesus, he'll say, she's with me. He's mine means that we'll be blameless. Nothing for Jesus to hold against us, ready to enjoy every blessing in the new creation. That just blows my mind. Why is that allowed to happen? Why is that possible? Because on the cross, Jesus was treated as we deserve. He bore God's wrath for our sin. So that for all eternity we would be treated as he deserves, enjoying God's eternal blessing. And that's not fair. It's not, is it? That on the cross he would he'd be treated as we deserve? So for all eternity, we would be treated as he deserved? That's not fair. That's not a fair swap. That's the beauty of grace though, isn't it? Because we don't deserve that. But God in his grace to us in Jesus Christ, that is what he has done for us. He was treated like us so that we would be treated like him. What grace we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you aren't a Christian, this is, that's the offer of the gospel for you today. And if you are a Christian, how can we be tempted to move on from such a saviour? That's, that's Paul's point in verse 23, that if you want to move forward and grow, you do so by standing firm and digging further and further down. Paul says, don't move on from this gospel. Don't move on from this gospel that Epaphras taught. Don't move on from this gospel that he now teaches. Jesus is the only one who's fully God, supreme overall. So he's the only one who's sufficient to be our saviour. And how can we take the Savior and think we need something else? How can we take the Savior and think we need something more? If I am described as what Paul says here in Colossians, reconciled, past tense, holy and beloved, present tense, true, fact, done, now, What more could I need? What new experience or knowledge could I need to make me right with God? I'm reconciled. I'm friends with God. More than that, I know God. I know him. I know Jesus. I worship him. I love him. So look at Jesus. Behold him. See his grace for us in the cross see that he is our sufficient saviour. Dig deeper into him and see your soul come to life 
and you won't want to move anywhere else. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the one who reigns supreme on the throne, above all things, over everything you cry out, mine. And so we confess that we do not live as if we belong to you. Please forgive us, we ask of our sins, seeking to do our own thing. So help us to rejoice that we were made through you and for you. That our life was value, meaning, purpose. To be with you and to know you. Indeed, our chief end is to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. And thank you that we can do that because you are our sufficient saviour. So protect us, we ask. Help us to stay close to you and not to go after other things. No matter how subtle they may be, instead give us wisdom, give us discernment. Instead to stay close to you and to get to know you better in your word. Lord Jesus, we praise you for the cross. And thank you that we can pray these things in the presence of our Father, because of your grace to us. Amen. Let's end by singing our final song together. By grace I am redeemed, by grace I am restored. As the band begin to play, let's stand and sing, and then remain standing for the benediction.
Now may the Son who redeems us, the Spirit who renews us, and the Father who receives us, for so great is his love, be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face shine upon us. Amen.